This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. And welcome back to Crescent Project Radio, where we believe we have a hope worth sharing. I'm your host, Matt Bonner, and today we have the privilege of talking with another believer from a Muslim background about their journey from Islam to Christ. This time, our guest comes from Bosnia, where she was born and lived until she and her family came to the United States as refugees when she was six years old. Isla has quite a story and some compelling words for our audience about the importance of talking or taking the initiative to speak the truth to Muslims. Uh, she recently spoke at our Without Borders Women's Conference in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and was a big hit with our audience. So, Isla, welcome to the program. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're so glad to have you on. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to be with us. So you were born just months before the end of that war and genocide that took place in Bosnia, literally born into a world at war, which tragically uh, Christians had been targeting and mass murdering Bosnian Muslims. And so your family, uh, which was all Muslim, found refuge in a relatively safe village, I understand. And your father, in fact, fought in the war and sadly saw his entire hometown destroyed. This is a shocking world to come into, uh, no doubt, and I'm sure many of our audience here in the West would, would find that hard to, to kind of comprehend. Can you tell us about some of your mm-hmm. earliest memories, you know, and what that was like? Yeah, so looking back as an adult, um, I realized that my family and many other people were struggling at that time. Uh, however, when I was a child, I really didn't feel like I had a difficult childhood Um I was born into what I felt was my normal at the time because I didn't really have anything else to compare my life to. And so, you know, I would go and pick flowers and go on walks and play with street cats and spend time with neighborhood friends. And overall, I felt like I had a relatively happy life. However, like I said, now looking back, I can definitely recognize that it was a time of struggle that and that many people were struggling. Sure. Sure. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I found that amazing that you had a, a relatively normal uh, upbringing. Well, so you and your family mm-hmm. then came here to the United States, What and you were six. How, how did that uh, come about? So um, my father, he was um, in the Army at the time, and afterwards his entire um, hometown was destroyed, and so we became refugees, and the United States gave us refuge in the country. So, um, yeah, we were looking for a new start and for better opportunities, and that's why we came. Mm. So how devout uh, was your family? I mean, were you were you practicing Islam? So, as you previously mentioned, uh, my family had a pretty broken history with Christianity, and so we all strongly identified as Muslims. However, my family was definitely very secular compared to other more strict Muslim families. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents would pray occasionally. My mom would fast during holidays. My dad would visit a local mosque. However, they did not attempt to follow the laws of Islam, and they rarely read the Quran. Um, most of my peers probably never knew that I considered myself a Muslim. So mm. overall, it's safe to say that I had quite a lukewarm co- connection to Islam. Mm. That's interesting. Now, do you think that was? Do you think that was kind of similar to to uh, 
you know, other, other families that had come over like yours did, or was that, do you think that was kind of different than, than others or others that maybe you grew up around with? Yeah. So I see that similarity in a lot of other Bosnian Muslim families as well, where they will strongly identify as Muslims. However, they don't completely follow all the laws. They're not as strict as, um, families, Muslim families from other backgrounds. And so, yeah, that's, that's a similarity I found across other families as well. Mm. Now, what was your view towards Christians at that time, you know, coming over here to the United States? Yeah, so every once in a while, I would hear my parents speak negatively about Christianity and Jesus, and with our background, I had every reason to agree with them, but I didn't, which it's funny looking back on that now, but Mm -hmm. um, I knew nothing about Jesus, but I still found myself defending his name every single time they'd bring it up. And, uh, yeah, these are some of my earliest memories of feeling a connection to Jesus and wanting to know more. Mm. Now, Isla, why do you think that was the case? I mean, I find that interesting that, that you found yourself defending his name each time. Was that just kind of, did you feel like that was just kind of instinctive, or why do you think that was the case? It was, it was something that I found myself questioning often whenever they would speak negatively about Christianity, because I didn't feel like they had the full knowledge of what Christianity was or who Jesus was. And so I felt like they were speaking things that were not true or perhaps unfair towards Jesus and towards Christianity. And so that was my way of kind of defending the truth or defending Jesus because, yeah, I just felt like maybe they didn't know the full story yet. Mm. And I didn't know either, but I didn't feel like it was right for them to make those judgments quite yet. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. Well, what, what made you then start thinking about Jesus more? Um, I, I had thoughts about Jesus growing up as a child, but it wasn't until I was a junior in high school that I started to think about Jesus more often. I had questions about God that were not answered through Islam growing up, so I started to think that perhaps the Bible contained some of those answers to mm. the questions that I had. Mm-hmm. So, in, yeah, in secret, I started to read the Bible occasionally, However, I was skipping around and reading passages from both the Old and the New Testament, and I became confused because, yeah, if if you're just kind of skipping around Mm -hmm. and reading passages from here and there, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sure. Um, So so I kind of dropped it for a little while, and then one year later, I met a guy who soon became my boyfriend and who is now my husband, Mm. Um, and completely coincidentally, I came to know that he was a Christian and that his father was a pastor. And uh, at that time, he and his family made me feel very loved and welcomed, even though I was not yet a Christian. Mm, that's interesting. Now, in, in what ways did uh, did your boyfriend's family make 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 an impact on you uh, for Christ? They often would guide me whenever I needed guidance. They showed me patience. They never pressured me or made me feel unwelcome. And that was great, considering that was my first time feeling like I was somewhat involved in a Christian community. That was a great first impression, just feeling loved and cared for regardless of what my initial views were. Mm. Yeah, I imagine it would have been a, quite uh, an impression uh, hospitality-wise and everything. Yeah. Well, how did, you then, uh, how did you then come to Christ? So I, when I first met my, um, the guy who became my boyfriend, um, I was not quite yet ready to accept Christianity or accept Jesus just because he was a Christian. I'd often tell him, you know, don't preach at me. I'm going to come to, if I'm going to come to Christ, I'll come at my own time. And so 
Um, it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I read the Gospels, and I read them one by one in order. I remember sitting in my dorm room all by myself, reading the Bible, and just crying from the overwhelming truth that I had just read. Mm. And that was when I knew that Jesus was my Savior. It seemed like I had finally found this missing piece that I had been missing my entire life. Mm. Um, yeah, and so after reading the Gospels, I was just on fire for the Lord. I was reading the Bible every day, going to church, passionate about following Jesus. However, all this was happening in secret from my family. And um, I always I always joke and I say that I was kind of like Hannah Montana living my double life because mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. on yeah on the one hand I was going to church and reading the Bible and I, I was a Christian and then on the other hand I would still act the same way as I did before around my parents and um, part mm. of that was because I was scared to tell my parents because I knew that it would hurt them and I knew that it would bring them shame and I knew that I would probably get kicked out of my home. So um, the secrecy went on for about six months, and that entire time I felt very burdened and hindered by that. Mm, I bet I can imagine that must have felt. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. So, did you, but you don't think your uh, your parents suspected anything, huh? I mean, during that first six months or so. No, they were slightly suspicious because of um, my boyfriend at the time. They knew he was a Christian, and so they were nervous that he would influence me in some way. But aside from that, they didn't they didn't suspect anything. Mm. Wow, I found that fascinating too that you read um, the the gospels, you know, uh, one after another. That you read the the yeah, just and did did he did he suggest that your boyfriend suggest that, or was that just something that you felt like you wanted to start there and just start with the gospels? Yeah, so that was one way that my boyfriend and his family helped me at that time because. As I said, I had already read the Bible before, but I was jumping around so much, and so they recommended, well, why don't you start with the Gospels, and then we'll go from there. And so, mm. yeah, they helped me with that. Man, that's that's amazing. So it really did convict you then. I mean, the, the, the Word itself did. And then, oh, that's, yes. that's awesome. Well, tell us then what happened next. I mean, did you, so did you end up telling your family then, or what happened? Yeah, so... Um, like I said, it went on for about six months, the secrecy did, and then one day I was visiting my parents, and all of a sudden, and this would kind of happen at other times too, but that time in particular, my heart just started to pound, and I knew inside that I had to say something because I was sick of waiting and sick of living my life in secret, mm. and so I was nervous, but in that moment in particular, I felt the strength in me that wasn't of myself. And I kept thinking to myself, Jesus died for you. Why can't you at least say you believe in him? And so I I finally managed to tell my parents that I believe in Jesus. Mm. And immediately after I spoke those words, um, our family dynamics completely changed. My mom, she was crying, and they responded exactly as I thought they would. They disowned me. They kicked me out of the home. They removed all ties. And it was a really harsh, quick transition into so much uncertainty that initially I was under quite a bit of stress. And it was, some of it was just small things, like, for example, my car or my laptop, but then other things were bigger, like I didn't have my same consistent home, um, financial security, I didn't get to see my brothers, my biological family. Mm-hmm. And so that time of my life, it was very easy to feel insecure and sad because after living my whole life with my family to then being separated from them and from a lot of my comfort and security, that was incredibly hard. 
Yeah, it's hard for us to imagine here. Most people, you know, listen to this, I'm sure, have never experienced something like that. So it's hard to imagine. Now, how old were you at this point when this happened? So I must have been around 21 at this point. Wow. Yeah. So you were young. Now you were, so you were in college at this point? Yeah. Okay. So you had... Actually, now that I think about it, I was probably younger than that even. I was probably around 20. Okay. So you, so there was a risk then uh, that you may not be able to finish college, right? Because they were, they were cutting you off. W- were they cutting you off financially, you said, as well? Yeah. So financially, um, and my home too. So technically at that time I was um, homeless mm. because I didn't have a permanent home. It was, I was trying to figure out where to stay. Um, yeah, financially they weren't helping me at all. And so, yeah, I was in a very, very unsure, uncertain part of my life where I didn't quite know how I would, how I would continue to live the way I was living. Man. And you said they took your car and your laptop? Yeah. Yeah. So, and those seem like very just kind of silly material things like, oh, whatever, who cares? But it does make a difference when things start to pile up and you no longer have access to these things that you usually use on your, in your daily life. Oh, sure. And I can't imagine, you know, especially as a college student, you know, doing without those things. How did you, so did you have to um, work out something else to continue with school? I mean, did you have some kind of scholarship or do you have somebody else help you or how did that that work to continue school? Yeah, it was seriously incredible and I had zero plans, but I attribute all of that to God because, yeah, like I said, I had no plans. And so the fact that everything worked out is beyond me. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I ended up I ended up getting these really great scholarships and um, the people, I actually transferred schools around right after that. And so the people at my new school that I had transferred to were incredible and they helped me and things just happened to work out, even though I had no idea that they would. Mm, That's amazing. So did you, I'm just curious if that is, uh, were there, did you seek out like maybe some Christian ministries on campus uh, at your new school or how did you get connected? Um, yeah, I had, well, I had a little bit of a Christian community on campus, but my biggest Christian community was my church. They, I've met so many great people and they helped me a lot just with, um, mentoring me and talking to me through that time to more practical things. Like, um, I had people who offered me to stay in their home and, um, some people, some people even offered to help me financially, which I accepted as little of that as I could just because I, I managed to find financial assistance in other ways. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, everyone was just so willing and that was wonderful at that time. Absolutely. But still, I mean, you know, it's, it's being cut off like that from your family is, it's got to be hard. I mean, how did you, how did you persevere? How did you, what, what, what gave you hope during that time? Yeah. So, well, like I said, I ended up, I ended up being offered a homestand. I had food to eat. I I ended up having that community of of church people, and I had even more. And um, throughout some of those hardships that I had initially, God ended up providing for me the strength that I needed to move forward and um, everything else that I needed at that time. And so um, I felt like although I was at a bit of a low place and I lost a lot with my family, God provided me with a lot of joy and peace, and I felt like I felt like I didn't need anything more than what I had. Mm, that's amazing. Now, were you aware or familiar at all at that time about any, anybody else uh, from Muslim backgrounds that, that had kind of experienced the same thing? Or were you just thinking, wow, this is, you know, 
you were kind of alone in that. Um, yeah, I didn't really know anybody personally who had gone through similar things. And so I did feel a bit alone in that, in that a lot, not many other people could relate to me. And sometimes I really did feel like what I was going through, I was alone in. And that was, that was a little bit of a difficult thing to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the community that I had, they were, they all were very good at listening and trying to understand as best as they could being there for me. And then later on too, I did come to know of other people in my community, even though my community is kind of small. Um, I did come to know of other people who had a similar story to me. So yeah. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. No, I want to talk about, and, and, and you know, you're reading your testimony and hearing it. I, uh, understood that you had not apparently when you were in school you didn't have any other your your peers you know reaching out or sharing the gospel with you and 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 i want to talk to you about that um that that nobody else had done that uh, to talk to you about jesus and i I would think now i guess looking back that would be kind of painful thinking about that or or something that you you know were sad about what why do you think that no one shared with you uh, when you came over here um and and you know you're obviously around Christians and, you know, but, but no one shared with you. Why do you think that was? Yeah. So you brought up the word painful. And to me, looking back, it's not painful exactly. It's more eye opening. Mm-hmm. It helps me to remember that I'm probably often in the company of those who don't truly know about Jesus because I myself was in that position once. Mm-hmm. And um, that puts me in the position of where I have very few excuses it makes me more accountable to myself. So I can't just think to myself, oh, they all already know about Jesus. There's no need for me to tell them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is helpful to me in that way. Um, And as for why no one shared with me, I can't exactly say why. Um, Some thoughts that come to my head is perhaps we need to be doing a better job of equipping our children, um, developing more meaningful relationships, having more courage in situations like that. Mm, Sure. Absolutely, because it was see how many. So you came here when you were six, right? And then, and then you didn't come to Christ until you were uh, in college uh, when you were reading the, mm-hmm. the Bible. So that's that's a lot of years, you know, that that uh, people had an opportunity to, to minister to you, but they didn't. So that's I think that's that is eye opening. You're right. I think you, <laughs> it's a good term. It's eye opening for sure, and it's certainly convicting for Christians here in the West um, to to know that, yeah, and, and be more aware, you know, be more aware of the people around us. Um, Especially, you know, if you're yeah. if you're coming as a refugee from another country, and uh, people should have been, you know, asking more questions or learning more. So that's really, really, really eye opening for us to hear that. Well, yeah, and especially, I always think that sometimes it's easy to forget that people can be at different um, different stages in their faith if they look like we do, and so, um, for example, when I was in school, I don't think anybody could tell that I was. Um, that I identified as a Muslim just by looking at me. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, wear a head covering at the time because, like I said, my, my family was a little more secular, and um, I didn't pray multiple times a day. So people, just by looking at me, you couldn't exactly tell that I was a Muslim, but it's important to remember that just because somebody maybe looks like you, it's not okay to just assume that, oh, they're probably Christians too, or they know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Well, you capture the audience's attention at Without Borders with some unforgettable words. Uh, can you share those words again? 
Yeah, so I give people two pieces of advice when they ask for it. <laughs> so the first one is that the Bible is enough. And so what I mean by that is that often people expect signs or miracles to occur, and sometimes people expect that of me when I'm sharing my testimony. They expect me to share some amazing miracle that happened, but for mm-hmm. me, all it took was the Bible. The Bible was enough. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, sometimes people will say something like, um, God, I will believe in you if you do blank for me, or give me a sign that I'm supposed to do blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really smart person once told me that God is not a magic eight ball. <laughs> the Bible, the Word of God, already has answers to many of our questions. Um, and so I think the Bible is enough. It was certainly enough for me. And another thing that ties into that that people often struggle with is this insecurity that they don't know enough to reach out to someone and tell them about Jesus. They think that maybe they need to read a lot of books by theologians or to know about politics, to know a lot about Islam, to know history, um, to know a lot about atheism. The list goes on and on. But I always say that the Bible is enough. That's all you need to know. Mm, very good. Yeah, and so... Yeah. Um, and then the second piece of advice that I tell people is to have just 30 seconds of courage. So for me, it took 30 seconds of courage to tell my parents that I believe in Jesus. And I think it takes 30 seconds of courage to say hello to someone, to start a conversation, to speak something that might be hard to say or to drop off a gift. Um, in our minds, I think we, we tend to overthink and turn something simple into something overwhelming. But in reality, it just takes 30 seconds of courage. And it actually, I've um, I've heard stories of people who went to the uh, Without Borders conference and they left and they went on to do their little 30 seconds of courage act. Mm. And so, for example, one woman, she went and she dropped off a, um, a, a gift of cookies, I think it was, in the book of Matthew to a Muslim friend of hers. And, and there was other stories as well. But um, yeah, it's that's exactly it. It's just those little moments, those little acts, just that 30 seconds of courage is really all it takes to, to start something. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. We, we heard a lot of feedback uh, from, from the people there at the, at the conference and even our staff, they were just really impacted by that, those words. And so I, I definitely wanted the audience to hear that. And it's obviously mm-hmm. very encouraging to hear uh, people taking it and running with it, you know, when, when people, participants mm-hmm. act on it. And so that's particularly encouraging. Well, why do you, what do you think keeps us from, from having this kind of courage? I mean, even just for 30 seconds. Yeah, I think that a big part is the overthinking. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a simple hello or start to a conversation. And we start to imagine what might happen after that. What if this person questions me? What if this? What if that? What if they're offended? And, um, yeah, I would just, I would suggest that if someone's having trouble finding even that 30 seconds of courage to pray for it and, um, to also just simplify in their minds, like it's not, it's not this complex problem. You don't need to know all these things or imagine all these what if scenarios. It's just 30 seconds of your time. Mm, I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what are your plans uh, for the future, Isla? Yeah, so that's a hard question to answer because um, I I like taking things one day at a time. I I used to be the kind of person that would plan things to really to no extent, and I found that there was very little peace in that. And so I'm learning more and more every day to trust God and to be at peace with where I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I also know that what I do every day will ultimately affect my future. So I strive to grow to be a better wife, a better friend, um, and I try to be intentional and follow Jesus. Mm. 
That's great words. You know, you can't, can't get wrong with that. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Well, what is the status of your family today? Can you kind of give us an update on uh, kind of how, how they've come along and have they kind of softened to you at all or kind of where are they? Yeah. So after some time, it's probably about, uh, it was a while, um, years of living in a strained relationship with them and a lot of praying. Um, after all that time, my family situation um, drastically improved. My parents eventually started to reach out more and our relationship gradually got better. So now I'm at the point where I see them probably a couple, uh, multiple times a month and we're slowly learning how to be a family for each other again, which count, sounds kind of silly because we were a family for most of my life. Mm-hmm. But after after that, after a big change, like what happened happens, then it takes a little bit of time to figure out how to how to be there for one another again, how how to find the new normal. So we're slowly figuring that out. Sure, sure. But they are so they're but they're still you know, Muslim in their belief. Then, yeah, they still are Muslim in their belief, okay. and that's something that I found a lot of peace with. At first, I started I felt a lot of pressure, like I'm the first Christian in this family, I should get everybody else to be a Christian too. But um, yeah, I. I realize that we as people, we don't convert other people to be Christians. It's God's work. And so I've come to peace with that. God will do his work in them and things will turn out as they are meant to be. Mm, that's good. Well, I'm glad to hear you got a, got a piece about it for sure. Yeah. Very good. And you said you had some brothers uh, too? Yeah. So I have two brothers and neither of them are Christians either, but they're mm. both younger than me and yeah, God will do his work in them too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, how can we, uh, certainly for your family, we want to pray for, for them, but but how else can we, you know, can we pray for you? Um, I would say that I'd like to, like to be prayed for, that I can be a light to others, and that other people would be encouraged by the work that God has done in my life, whether through hearing the words from this podcast or from talking to me in person and in other ways as well. Mm, absolutely. Well, we'll certainly ask our audience to do that and and uh, and we'll wrap up here and 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 pray in that way but we really uh before going really just want to thank you for being on with us uh today and appreciate sharing your story and for and sharing your your words of advice to take 30 seconds of courage and we'll certainly uh, uh remember that and and uh, want to mm-hmm. pass that on so thank you for thank you for being on the program today mhm it's my pleasure all right well let's let's close in prayer Father, we're so grateful for the way that you have worked in Isla's life. We thank you for bringing her family over here to the United States and for protecting them during the war. And we just pray that you would uh, continue to work in her life. And we thank you for the way that you have um, brought her to know you. And uh, we pray that you would open uh, her family's eyes, her mom and dad and her two brothers. We pray that you would just uh, just bless them with the true blessing of knowing you. And I pray that you would give Isla this, the, the grace and the patience and the, the wisdom and discernment on how to love them well and to uh, be ambassadors for you to them and just to, to wait patiently on you and that you would continue to bless her, that she would be a light to others and that other people would be encouraged you know, by the work that, that you have done in her life. So we thank you again for her. We pray that you would use this conversation to advance um, your work in the Muslim world to inspire more people to be outreaching others and sharing the gospel and to take that 30 seconds of courage to speak up and to share your truth with others. It is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org, where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching and apologetics, interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.